friends. Thank you for tuning in to the weekly City Church San Francisco podcast. Throughout the fall of 2020 on this podcast, we'll be taking a look through the Bible at what happened to people when things fell apart in their worlds, sort of like what many of us are experiencing right now. We're calling this fall series When Things Fall Apart because, well, things feel like they're falling apart. So let's talk about it. We invite you to lean into these stories each week to embrace the intersections where these ancient stories collide with our current collective world and our own personal lives. As always, we thank you for being a part of City Church Online through this podcast. And we invite you to join us live each Sunday at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch. Thanks. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The word of the Lord. Good morning, City Church. It's so great to be with you all once again this morning. What a week it's been. Last weekend, I sat my daughters down to listen to our VP-elect Kamala Harris's victory speech. And I told them how monumental that moment was, that she is a woman of many firsts. First female VP, first black female VP, first South Asian female VP, first person born of immigrant parents to serve as VP. I never thought that someone who embodied so many of the identities of my own children, that my own children embodied, could ever be in such a visible position of leadership, in a position of so much influence. In that moment, I saw their entire world of of possibilities and opportunities open up in a way that was never afforded to me when I was growing up. But I remember when Kamala Harris Harris was first selected to appear on the docket. I recall all sorts of things being said on social media, absolutely tearing her apart. There were questioning people questioning her experience, questioning her qualifications and questioning her past. 
There were stories circulating about her personal life and who she dated. I saw people comment on her ethnicity, questioning her American identity, her black identity, her South Asian identity. When she was on the debates, I thought she did such a great job. But I recall thinking how much pressure she would be under since every single answer, every facial expression, every way that she responded was going to be microscopically scrutinized. Women, particularly women of color, are constantly scrutinized. Value judgments are made on their appearance, their age, their relationship status, their education, and the conclusion is always that they're lacking in some way, that they, that they are not enough. And this gives license to society to set these standards for how women should behave and to police their bodies, to restrict their access and their opportunities. These standards have become a way to measure a woman's value and a woman's worth. I find this to be true of the Samaritan woman. What do we know about her? We know that she is a woman and a Samaritan and that she has had five husbands. Now, almost every sermon that I've heard about her has discussed why she carries so much shame as a woman who has probably been marginalized in her community because she's have had five husbands. Almost every sermon I've heard has theorized on why is it this woman has had five husbands and made value judgments on her character because of it. But this woman is so much more than what we and what others have reduced her to. She was a theologian asking Jesus some deep theological questions about her faith. She was brave in talking about the issues that divided their communities. She was also the first person in the book of John whom Jesus revealed his identity to. And she became the first preacher when she told, when she told everyone in her community. So let's take a closer look at this story. The first thing you should know is that in the Eastern tradition, the Samaritan woman has a name. So the first thing I want to do is refer to her by her name and not just her label. She is known as Fatini, which means the luminous one. The ways that Fatini has been discounted in this passage is in her identity as a Samaritan and in her position in society as a woman, particularly as a woman who has been married five times. She's been discounted as a Samaritan woman because, as you may know, the Judeans and the Samaritans were divided. They worshiped the same God, but at one point in history, they fought over where it was they were supposed to worship their God. Were they supposed to worship in the mountain or in Jerusalem? And over this disagreement, they hated each other. They didn't want to be seen together. So Fatini didn't practice her faith by the same standard as a Samaritan. And so Judean readers would have made a value judgment on her spirituality because she did things differently. They wouldn't have seen her as one of God's chosen people. She would have been an unholy heathen in their eyes. Fatini also experienced separation from her own community. And we know this because she is at the well gathering water an activity that is typically done with other women. So she's either isolated herself from other women or other women have separated themselves from her. 
The only information that we are given that might explain this is what Jesus says, that she has been married five times and that the man she is currently with is not her husband. Even today, unfortunately, a woman like this would raise eyebrows and would prompt a lot of questioning. 2,000 years ago, people would have made judgments about her character and her virtue. Her, they would have made judgments about her desirability and might have even raised questions about her fertility, which would have invited judgment about her value and her worth as a woman. And all of this explains why she might have been marginalized. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if Fotini, because she had internalized these value judgments, if she too drifted away from her community because she was overcome with shame. So we see that she goes to the well to get water alone. And I think that this water represents our basic need, right? Everyone needs water to live. But this water also represents our basic need for connection and belonging. So she goes to this well parched for a sense of belonging, longing for something to quench this desire to be accepted and be seen as herself. In this story, we see Jesus working his way through these layers of shame in talking to Fatini to get to who she truly is beneath all the things that people have, have believed about her and all the things that she has believed about herself. You see, he doesn't see a woman in Samaria alone, alone at the well in the middle of the day, and then make all these value judgments or objectified her this, the way that her community had. He simply sees her as a human being and desires to connect with her. Jesus intentionally crosses a social boundary as a Judean and as a man, and he forges connection with a Samaritan woman. And suddenly, Fotini is seen. And Jesus tells her that she can have God's gift of living water and that it will give her eternal sustenance that she won't thirst for belonging in temporary ways because in this water she will have eternal belonging she will have eternal life and just in case she didn't think that the, that she was worthy enough or holy enough jesus invites her into vulnerability and honesty by asking her to call her husband and she opens up just that little bit by telling Jesus what I think is a half-truth. I have no husband. And I love Jesus's response because he snaps back straight away saying, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the guy you're shacking up with right now isn't your husband. I love it because he doesn't get to unpacking why it might be that she has had five husbands the way that we've done when we've studied this text. For Jesus, he already knows her past. He knows who she is. He knows the truth that her identity is not in her labels or how many men that she has been married to. What Jesus does in this story is restore her sense of humanity by bringing to light what has caused her shame and then maintaining connection with her. From Jesus, she begins to experience what right relationship feels like again. There is power behind the action of Jesus, the divine, 
the human embodiment of our creator connecting with Fotini. And because she's able to connect with the divine, she was able to talk to Jesus about some deep theological questions about why their people were divided. Jesus was able to answer her and say, actually, the worship God desires from us isn't just in the mountains. It isn't just in Jerusalem, but it's worship that is in spirit and in truth. In other words, worship that engages our very being, worship that engages who we are and our desire for truth. And this, this is exactly what Fotini is doing. She was engaging in worship and conversing with the divine, engaging all of who she was, bringing her whole authentic self. She engaged Jesus in conversation, asking about deep theological truths. And now because she was open and because she was vulnerable, Jesus rewards her by also expressing his own true identity. And she becomes the first person in this book to recognize that he is the Messiah. All this internalized shame that she'd been carrying had separated her from community. And it had also been a barrier to intimacy with God because she'd come to allow these things to define her value. But once she was seen by the divine, once her humanity was acknowledged, she was able to see the truth. She was able to see Christ. Her interaction with Jesus was a step towards healing from the dehumanizing treatment from her community and from the Judeans. So let's look at all the great things that Fatini was able to do in this story. Because, because Jesus was able to see her as her full self from the very beginning, she experienced acceptance and belonging. And because she was able to do that, she was able to disentangle from her internalized shame. And this allowed her to discuss the division in their communities. And from this, she was able to theologize with God about her own faith. And she was also able to find the source of eternal sustenance, of eternal life, and the source of eternal belonging. From that, she saw Christ. Jesus revealed his identity to her. And finally, she was able to take the good news of that truth back to her community. So when she ran to go and tell her community, you can read later on, she leaves her bucket behind. She leaves it behind because she doesn't thirst anymore for things that sustain her temporarily. It's not in any one of the five husbands that she had or the man that she was currently with. She didn't thirst anymore because now she had tasted the living water that will sustain her eternally. When I was preparing for this sermon this past week, I found myself really resonating with Fatini on so many levels. I felt as though so much of my faith journey was captured in these 26 verses. This week, I reflected on the many times value judgments and assumptions were made about me, the same way they were made about Fatini or Kamala Harris. People had no issues telling me what I was and wasn't able to do as an Asian woman. 
I often heard judgments on what my family must be like as an Indian woman or what my social status must be as a Filipina. When I migrated here to the U.S. eight years ago, people made judgments about how I attained residency here. People made judgments on my value when I was unemployed. They made judgments on my value as a stay-at-home mother. And then they made judgments on me when I was working from home and a stay-at-home mother. I desperately wanted to show that there was another part of me, that there was more to me, that I had potential. I desperately wanted to show what I was capable of. But it felt as though all people could see were all the ways that I was flawed, the ways that I didn't measure up, the ways that I didn't fit the norm, and the ways that I just wasn't enough. Now, I didn't want to stand out too much or be too different. So I found myself trying to assimilate to American culture. And this didn't help the fact that I had already been wrestling with some internalized racism because of shame that I carried as an Asian woman. And now in being so different from everyone around me. What I reflected on this week was just how exhausting it was to assimilate. Code switching between spaces was exhausting. The effort you have to put into fitting in is draining. I know I'm not the only one who experiences this. Now, sidebar, I spent three years when I first moved, into the, uh, moved to the United States, I spent three years watching football to try to get into the Super Bowl. And I just had to give up trying to understand this game because quite honestly, I, I still can't get it. So now I just happily watch soccer. It takes effort. In all seriousness, it takes a lot of effort to camouflage who you are in an effort to fit in. But the moment you feel safe to share a part of you authentically, the moment someone affirms that they see you as who you really are, it can be freeing. It can be so freeing and life-giving. When I started to unravel from the shame that I had internalized, about being an, an Asian immigrant woman here, I was able to hear the deeper and the truer voice within me, affirming my, my true self. In that, I found intimacy with God. I found intimacy in being able to wrestle with doubts about myself and doubts about my faith. I found intimacy with God and being able to address my shortcomings and the things that, that I wasn't confident about. Then I was able to practice vulnerability in showing up as my authentic self because all these things helped me find the wholeness that I was searching for when I was losing myself in blending in. The story of the Samaritan woman reminds us that when we are vulnerable enough to appear as our full selves to God, our full selves, which includes every chapter of our story, every part that makes up our identity, if we are able to confront every aspect of who we are, we can be open to God's gift and God revealing God's self more fully to us and reconcile with the image of God within us. And that gift nourishes us and sustains us. That gift of authenticity allows us to live more fully and allows us to find wholeness. We no longer thirst 
for things that are temporary or find sustenance in things that are temporary. We find life flourishing in Christ. What's more is that when we feel free to step into our authenticity, we're able to reach out and make connection with others around us. And in doing so, we can begin to be an authentic community with one another. We begin to live in ways where the image of God within us sees and honors the image of God in others. And this, this is what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. All God wants of us is to be who we are. And from that place of being, we shed the shame that we have, been in, that we have internalized and find reconciliation with our true self, with the image of God within us. We find reconciliation with God, allowing reconciliation with one another. And the implications of this are huge. If we can make visible the people who have been made invisible or discarded because of value judgments on their gender identity, their class, their race, their sexual orientation, their ability, their mental health, their education, if we are able to unravel the shame we place on one another when we make value judgments and instead see one another for who we are, then we can begin to heal as a community and forge a path towards reconciliation. And so my invitation is to ask ourselves, in what ways do we need to step into our authenticity with people who we are in relationship with? In what ways do we need to allow for more vulnerability? It might be in admitting our shortcomings. It might be in being honest about our needs and our imperfections. After doing that, we should ask ourselves, in what ways do we need to see others so that they too can be invited into authenticity? In what ways can we lift up their visibility? Is it in cultivating spaces that are more, in, more gender inclusive? Is it in being more open to other perspectives? Is it in platforming more black, indigenous, and people of color? Is there shame that we have placed on people that we need to unravel from. Finally, I invite you to ask yourself if there is any internalized shame that you need to be disentangled from. Have you internalized the things that others have said about you? Have you come to believe that they are part of your identity? I encourage you to listen to the deeper truth of the divine within you and meditate on the truth that you have been made in the image of God, and that is nothing to be ashamed of. Let us pray. Creator God, in you we are fearfully and wonderfully made. In your very being you have declared, it is good, it is very good, Holy Spirit, I ask you to move within our very being and transform us in ways that bring us closer to our true selves, the way that God intended us to be. Reconcile us with the divine image within us. 
Transform us too so we can see our neighbors and see the divine image in them. May we find wholeness and completeness in being firmly grounded in the truth of who we are as your children. Amen. Thank you once again, City Church, for welcoming me so warmly. Be blessed. <laughs>